I was talking on the phone with a gentleman from Scotland, and he told me this. There's a, a lovely quote from Andy Warhol. Um, all department stores will become museums, and all museums will become department stores one day. Andy Warhol was a leading figure in the pop art movement. He sold signed Campbell's soup cans and, and pictures that he painted of Marilyn Monroe. Andy Warhol didn't see a distinction between art and commerce. My guest today is Callum Lumsden. His work fits at that intersection of those two worlds of art and commerce. His firm designs museum shops in places like the New York MoMA and the Tate Modern in London. They also work on other kinds of theme shops, like the shop at Platform 9 and 3 quarters at King's Cross Station for all the Harry Potter fans out there, or the shop at Abbey Road Studios. This week... We're talking about designing shops at some of the most culturally significant places in the Western world. You're listening to Where We Buy. My name is James Cook. I research retail and real estate for JLL. This is the show where we talk with retail experts and visit shopping spots across the nation. Hello. Hello, this is James Cook. Is this Callum? Well, I'm Callum Lumsden. Um, I'm founder and creative director of a design company in London um, called Lumsden. Rather unimaginatively, but it seems to have worked. Um, and we specialize in retail and F&B um, design. Uh, for the cultural sector, mainly museums, but also uh, visitor uh, destinations, visitor attractions. We've also done some um, other brands that people will recognize, such as um, a store for Abbey Road, um, which is the most famous recording studios in the world. I thought maybe maybe we'd start at the beginning. From what I can tell, Am I right in saying your first museum shop that you worked on was for the Tate Modern in 2000? Around about 1997, maybe 98, um, I was asked to go into a competition for the retail part of Tate Modern um, and won it. And I was introduced to a, a sector that I knew about but hadn't really kind of considered as being um, a target for um, really doing something interesting in uh, the design world and what interests me well there's lots of things that interest me in this area but every single project is different you know Tate Modern is a completely different um, brand to let's say the British Museum or MoMA um, and that's what fascinates me I feel naive in that I never thought about this, the idea that a different museums are really just different brands. What distinguishes the brand of, say, a Tate Modern, and how do you translate that into the museum shop? Okay, well, well Tate Modern, it was a, a power station on the River Thames, um, and it was converted in a very visionary way by Herzog de Muron, um, the uh, architects in Switzerland, uh, under the um, guidance of, now is Sir Nicholas Sorota, 
um, who really pioneered something new and different. And a lot of that was inspired by MoMA anyway. Um, so he wanted, Nicholas Sorota wanted um, a museum of modern art in a amazing building with chimneys, etc. on it um, that had lain um, doing nothing for years and, and uh, was converted beautifully. He wanted it to become a destination. That was absolutely part of it. He wanted to bring contemporary art um, to the eyes of the world, the tourists who come to London, uh, Londoners themselves, um, very par- parallel to uh, where MoMA stands. So therefore, the brand, uh, understanding that brand inspired, and the architecture, the design that was um, uh, evolved and created by Herzog de Muron, very much inspired what we did in the store. But the store had to not only be architecturally uh, exciting, um, it also had to uh, perform and had to be functional. So in all the, the, the things that any designer of a store needs to think about had to be involved. I mean, storage, lighting, accessibility, uh, the right place um, to put the cash wrap, all those kind of basic things that guys like me know about when uh, we're looking at a store um, and understanding who that the market is going to be because the markets for a cultural destination are kind of different to a mainstream retailer in lots of different ways. Um, there's a, you know, there is a complete mix. So therefore, just understanding what the, uh, the that partic- those particular museums that we work on actually stand for is really important and understanding their market, i.e. who is coming. Uh, you know, we're talking about Chinese tourists through to seniors who love art and want a piece and a memory of um, their visit to take away with them through to school kids off, uh, on a school trip. And many museums, by the way, really sit back a bit when you talk to them about being a brand. But the more they understand themselves as a brand, in my view, um, actually do better because they they then understand that they, who their visitors are going to be and what they need to maintain in terms of a discipline about how they communicate what they do. I love going to a good museum shop and I've been to many, mostly in North America, but around the world as well. And I would say that they often do have a similar feel. Um, do you have to work to try to distinguish, uh, you know, each new project uh, to make it feel unique so it doesn't feel like any old museum shop? Absolutely. We really try and uh, get people to think uh, individually. Um, you know, having worked on main, in Main Street and retail, the amount of conversations that I uh, used to have about, well, we've seen this uh, store over in, uh, I don't know, um, you know, Texas, uh, or wherever. Um, we like the look of this. Can you do something like that? I, I absolutely, um, hate that. <laughs> and, uh, I re- really do my, uh, my powers of persuasion to, to say, let, let's really think about this in terms of who you are as an individual. And that goes not just for the look and the feel of the store, 
It also goes for the look and the feel of the product that is actually being sold in the stores. A lot of the museum stores actually end up selling very similar products from whichever state or whichever country you go into. That's where I think the exciting part of cultural retail is because the good ones are really looking at producing and retailing products that are all about the um, experience of being in in that museum. They're telling the stories about the objects and the paintings and the statues and the jewellery and the artefacts. People go to the Tate Modern shop to buy presents and don't go into the museum or they'll go in there to have a cup of coffee or a cocktail or something great to eat up on the um, the fifth floor. So museums have this kind of are beginning to have this magnet, this attraction, which is more than just about the, you know, the headline um, exhibitions that that everybody uh, loves to go through and and take part in. You mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of the museum shops, some of the products being very similar. I know that I read recently that at at MoMA, uh, at their shops in, in New York, they actually... Uh, take a lot of care in vetting. I think all the curators have to, am I right? Curators have to approve what they carry in the stores? That's right. Yeah, the curators um, uh, sit in with the buyers, review the potential products, um, and that's everything from the curator in charge of uh, design and architecture through to the, the various art curators who will uh, help the buyers um, talk to various artists to commission um, sets of products. So a lot of artists won't go near that, but an awful lot of artists will. Um, and handling that process is a very delicate one. And uh, there's always a bit of controversy about this um, in terms of where it goes from art to commercial and how how do you actually deal with that. But if you think of one of your most famous artists uh, in in America, Andy Warhol, um, he kind of got that. He actually used commercial to um, go into 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 art, and then it started going back again. Um, and Andy Warhol is one. Mama, for instance, has one of the biggest collections of Andy Warhol. Actually, encouraging local um, artists, designers. Um, craftsmen to make products um, which are related to the museum brands as well is something that museums can do because they need short runs um, because they don't always have you know they can't do go into the mass mass project production uh, of uh, products to sell um, so that's another way of individualizing the experience of going into um, a museum store. And by the way, please note that I'm really trying to avoid calling them gift shops. It's one of my big tasks in life to try and stop people calling them gift shops. But I don't think I'm winning. If you take all the people who go to a given museum, uh, there's always a few you know, hot things that everybody will make sure they see. But the other place that everybody goes to is, is to the shop. Um, how do you how do you feel about that? Do you feel an extra pressure because you know most visitors are going to be stopping in there? Oh no, I I love it. Um, and what one of the things that I love doing is watching people walk into the store 
and seeing it work and silently listening and observing to see how people actually shop. And um, yes, it's a pressure, um, but it's a good one because I get judged very much in terms of um, the predictions that are made for what will be the increase in spend, uh, what will be the increase in sales per square foot. It's really important because that if that doesn't work, why bother? We, we talked a little bit about MoMA, but uh, I wanted to dig into that a little bit more because I know you um, did the redevelopment of the uh, MoMA design store in Midtown Manhattan. And I know you're, you're doing other projects with MoMA. Can you talk a little bit about, about what, um, what that's all about? Well, we've been working with MoMA now for something like, it's coming up to five years. They are remodeling the entire museum and we uh, started off with them uh, looking at the uh, main store that's going to be opening in um, the uh, the museum itself uh, October this year, not far away. Um, that then led on to, in, in between that starting and uh, the, the opening of the, the main flagship uh, to do the design store, as you say, on West 53rd. It's a MoMA design store. It's all about design uh, objects ranging from tech to ceramics to jewelry uh, to silk scarves, um, lighting. So it's related very much to MoMA because there is where the most curated product is actually sold. It's a go-to um, store in um, Manhattan anyway. New Yorkers go there to buy their um, holiday presents. Uh, they go there to buy their crockery for their dinner parties. It was quite a challenge for somebody from Scotland to be asked to um, design one of the most famous stores in the world, I think. That was the first one that opened. And then MoMA have um, tied up with the chain of the second biggest department stores in Japan called Loft. Uh, we've designed concessions with in-store concessions, as well as so far two standalone stores in Japan. The museum itself has been remodeled in two phases. Phase one was completed last year. We did a store for them um, on the second floor. You actually have paid to go into the museum before you can actually go into that store. And everybody was concerned that that wouldn't work, but it's been an enormous success. Um, that, that store is always full of people buying and enjoying, enjoying themselves. The new one, um, has been moved. Uh, you'll be able to stand on West 53rd Street and look down at the, at the store. It's a really interesting concept working with the, uh, the architects. There was Gifidio Renfrew and that's opening October the 8th. And that's going to be the main museum store. And quite rightly, the museum did not want to come over as being um, about a retail store. It's about the most valuable collections and amazing exhibitions of contemporary art anywhere in the world. So another project I wanted to ask you about is the Victoria and Albert Museum in Dundee in Scotland. So that that seems like a really architecturally significant design. Fantastic architect, Japanese architect called Kengo Kuma. Uh, the building is uh, absolutely world-class. Um, 
I'm sure a lot of your listeners um, to your podcast probably won't know anything about Dundee. <laughs> but um, for those that know about museums and what museums can do for cities and communities, if we think back to Bilbao, um, where Frank Gehry designed this amazing museum, Bilbao commissioned him to do it um to try and bring some life into um, a shoreline and a, and a city that uh, wasn't doing great and it's worked. That was 1996 from memory, I think that opened. Um, Dundee, um, right on the east coast of Scotland, um, halfway up Scotland, um, was in a similar position. It's a design museum, so it's, it's focusing on Scottish design. Uh, you may have got from my accent that I'm Scottish. Um, so obviously it was a great honour to be asked to do the shop and the restaurant and the cafe areas in this vast, vast atrium. I mean, it's, um, inside is, it's amazing. And it's been an enormous success because the whole of the bay, the river is called the River Tay. Um, Alongside that, they're also building a mall and, and uh, hotels, etc. And it is starting to transform um, Dundee. The uh, the brand is very much about design and going back to your guys who probably know the name Charles Rennie Macintosh, famous Scottish uh, furniture designer. All of those uh, kind of um, objects and themes that are being uh, shown in the museum itself are, are being reflected in the store it's a very uh, simple design it's not a, this one isn't a big big store at all um but also the you know making sure that people want to come there for a great bite to eat that is as much retail as it as it is um you know actually for, for a shop itself uh so i mean so that's 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 really been a, a, an enormous uh, privilege to work um, on that particular project, you mentioned uh, uh, the food and beverage uh, at the V&A Dundee, and it it got me to thinking. I remember it as a kid, and so I grew up in the in the eighties, going to a museum. If you ate at the museum cafe, it was a pretty dreary experience. It was more like a cafeteria experience, and I contrast that now with the kind of food, these world-class meals you can get at museums now, things have really changed. Yeah, it, it, it's great. I mean, you know, Tate Modern do that. MoMA's food and beverage offer is outstanding. Um, and uh, you, you're, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's another reason for people to um, come and visit the museum and see it as part of their community. When you're designing a food offer in, in a museum, is it how different is it from, say, designing a cafe or a restaurant that uh, that's standalone, that's not part of a museum? Is, is it any different? Well, um, it's exactly the same principle as designing the store for the V&A. We, um, we found a concrete manufacturer who were able to make worktops, which were embedded with um, mussel shells from the the show we 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 nearly went for one that was endangered and we were we were told not to go near that one uh, but we embedded muscles in, into the concrete as part of the decoration and that's repeated in the shop and the cafe and the and the restaurant um we were inspired on some of the furniture designed by Charles Rennie Macintosh um 
So again, we were very much taking the heritage. There's a, a very famous ship which is moored right next to the museum, which inspired us in terms of how we designed the merchandise system for the, the store itself. So we were using the brand and the architecture and the locality as our inspiration to make that that work within uh, the cafes, the, the restaurant, and, and for the store itself. I would be remiss if I didn't ask for more details on something you mentioned earlier, which is which is the Abbey Road uh, shop. And it's not a it's not a place that I've been, but I'm certainly very familiar with it uh, and all of the amazing music that's come out of Abbey Road over the years. How do you translate the myth, the legend, you know, of Abbey Road into into a shop? What's the thinking that goes into that? Well, um, yeah, Abbey, Abbey Road is absolutely off the beaten track for London tourists, but they, it is still visited by thousands of visitors uh, every year, well, tens and tens, hundreds of thousands, who want to walk across the Zebra Crossing. The Abbey Road um, uh, album by the Beatles, the famous one, um, and... Uh, it kills the taxi drivers <laughs> who can't wait for people who are running back and forward across it. And Abbey Road had a, I mean, it's in a very um, lovely, um, almost domestic building, but it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a smashing building which has been full of recording studios, but they did have a space and they thought, well, we think we, um, people might want to have a piece of the action, so let, let's do a shop. Uh, so we based that around uh, musical instruments, um, you know, recording, um, old recording equipment, interaction, used um, a, a lot of the kind of themes that you see in the studios as our inspiration for what the merchandise system looked like to make, make the whole place a, a fun place. And the references that they were able to uh, use, everything from Beatles songs through to Pink Floyd album covers. We even made a counter that was based around album covers. Um, the cash in the cash wrap um, that was done with layering of uh, album covers, um, that kind of thing. So we had, we had a lot of fun with that one. That, that, that was a great project to work on. And of course, you know, as a big music fan, I was in heaven when I was walking in there. I never managed to meet anybody famous, though, which is my, my regret. Abbey Road, no. Um, yes, they have the big bands, but uh, they also have like the massive, they have recording studios that hold 120 um, piece orchestras. Um, but they, they also are now attracting the younger generation who have done recordings in their uh, bedrooms. Uh, so they had to try and appeal to that market as well. And that, that's starting to work for them now. And then the combination of that with the shop, that's really helped to sort of bring it, this mysterious building that you can't really go into. You were actually able to go into something that felt like, oh, yeah, I've been into Abbey Road Studios, which was part of the design that, that we came up with. Are there any other projects um, that aren't specifically museum shops, but are in that attraction uh, shop design that, that you can talk about? We have the privilege of um, being working with Warner Brothers now for probably about um, seven, eight years on Harry Potter projects. Harry Potter, the whole story, the books, the films, um, and everything else that J.K. Rowling has produced 
um, relating to Harry Potter has just continued for for years now. And um, we were, first of all, um, asked to design the store. We did a 6,000-square-foot store for Harry Potter in collaboration with Warner Brothers um, and lots of other people, which is just outside of London, on the site where all the Harry Potter movies were made. So it's a studio tour. Apparently America is more used to uh, studio tours uh, than the UK and, and Europe, um, obviously because of your movie history. Um, but this was a, an absolutely pioneering um, project that Warner Brothers developed and as part of the experience of going around the studio tour, sure enough, you come through um, into the store, which feels as much part of the experience as uh, looking at the exhibits that are in the tour. That's moved on into interesting areas. Um, there is a new uh, development, which I'm not able to talk about at the moment, but the ones that people might start seeing are some Harry Potter's shops in airports, and there's also one in a station, and that station is King's Cross, and it's where I don't know if you're uh, familiar with Harry, how familiar you are with Harry Potter's story, but it's where Platform Nine and Three Quarters is, and the shop is called Platform Nine and Three Quarters, and the. Uh, that that store has has been an amazing success. Um, it's actually in the top five must see places for the chi- Chinese aged between eighteen to twenty five. They call it the Magic Station Shop in Chinese. <laughs> we worked in Burbank Studios um, on a studio tour, and that was with um, all the other IPs that uh, Warner Brothers have: Superman, Batman friends, all of those kind of things. So we're kind of in the movies as well as we're in museums, which is a great place to be. Working with a brand as globally known as Harry Potter, I feel like there's probably a lot more oversight with what you do. I would imagine people are very careful to make sure you're conforming to the, the look and feel of the Harry Potter brand. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I could talk to you forever about the difference between in-world and out-of-world. And, um, uh, you know, with the guys that I'm working with, Harry Potter is real. It has to be, um, you know, J.K. Rowling um, has a fantastic team of people um, that make sure that everybody uh, abides by what the, the their brand is very much about and their story and understanding the fans and understanding what they would expect is something that we have to be absolutely working really um, collaboratively all the way through with the, with the projects. So that term in world, that's sort of the, when you walk in the store, the idea is you're crossing into the Harry Potter universe and everything has to conform. Um, I can't really talk too much about that. Um, uh, publicly, but uh, you know what happens on the film um, might be slightly different to what happens in the book. And understanding and, and try not to make it pretend. I mean, what we do is about the film part, the making of the films, and how that that that's our inspiration, as opposed to say <clears throat> you go to uh, say Universal, which is very much. Uh, 
um, you actually feel like you're actually in the film. There's a, there is a difference. Uh, but I could talk for a long time about that. Um, but uh, I, I would need to um, be uh, quite careful about how far I can go on that side of it. I feel like uh, you and I need to meet in a pub in person and and uh, get some off the record uh, details over a pint because this is a topic I'm endlessly curious about. I want to ask you one practical question. A lot of the people who listen to this show uh, own shopping centers or are retailers with stores. What learning can they take from a museum shop and and translate it to to the shopping center to the high street? I, I think um, there's there's a lot of clues about um, uh, curation. There, there's a very famous um, dinosaur called Dippy uh, that the Natural History Museum in London lent to various museums around the UK, and they're, they're actually going to take him, uh, take this guy who's a big skeleton dinosaur. He's called Dippy. Everybody knows about them. Um, the, this is up the visitor numbers in all these out of town um, provincial museums. Dippy in a shopping mall. Um, sell products related to that. Um, talk to retailers who can seem themselves um, around what you're doing. Uh, give people other reasons to come to the shopping mall rather than walking around looking at individual retailers. I've got lots of ideas about that one. Um, <laughs> Anybody wants to talk to me, give me a call. But um, the National Gallery, for instance, they, they've opened up what they've called a delicious art cafe in uh, South Korea. They've um, taken over the Shanghai Metro with limited edition Metro cars. You'll know the Dyson store in New York, the Samsung experience in um, uh, the meatpacking district in New York, which doesn't... They're not selling anything. It's like going to a 21st century museum about their about their brand. Um, you know, the, the shopping that you have to do and the shopping that you love to do. And I think shopping malls have the opportunity of really building up the experiential part of what they do. Uh, to make them more attractive, you can tell you can tell you're talking to a retail nerd because I've been to the Dyson store in New York and the one in London, and I have thoughts on how they're different. <laughs> That's a discussion for another day. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's truly uh, th- that kind of retail, that flagship retail is kind of like a museum quality experience. And and I agree with you. That's what's going to keep people coming back in an age where you can buy anything online. And well, I've just uh, a lot of your um, podcasts, and you know, I'm, I'm hearing uh, lots of good news. I think because it's giving space to the new guys, and I think that's what's really exciting. Um, you know, the, um, the 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 whole kind of opportunity of a, a whole new, different way of approaching, which I think has been led by the um, the food um, food and beverage retailers in lots of ways and i think the other retailers have started to catch up but you know the death of the high street as it's being called over here yeah that's happening and there's lots of political problems landlords all the rents all of those kind of things but the new guys on the block are really exciting you know um and uh, that, that that's why i love retail 
Well, Callum, thank you so much for joining me uh, to talk today. Okay, well, it's, uh, it's been great to uh, talk to you, James. So uh, thank you for asking me to uh, come on your podcast. Wow, I lost track of all of the cultural hotspots and touch points that we talked about in that conversation. I, I should have been keeping a scorecard. If we had a big budget for this podcast, I'd be playing a track from Abbey Road right now, but we'll just have to leave that up to your imagination. So many cool shops to visit. I am curious, have you shopped at the New York MoMA, the Tate Modern, Platform 9 and 3 quarters, or Abbey Road? I would love to hear what your experiences were like. Leave us a message on the Where We Buy hotline, and we'll use your voice in an upcoming show. Give us a call at 602-633-4061. Be sure to tell us your name and where you're calling from. Or maybe you've got another example of an amazing museum shop or attraction shop that you've been to. Tell us all about it. Just be sure not to call them gift shops. I don't want to get Cullum angry at me. Hey, I need your help. Um, I made a proposal to give a presentation at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and competition for this thing is fierce. There were over 6,000 proposals submitted for presentations and panels. So part of the way that they pick the panels for South by Southwest is through voting. So I would love it if you went out and voted and made comments on my proposal. You can go there by going to bit.ly slash James Panel. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash James Panel. And yes, unfortunately, you do have to register on the website in order to vote. But no, you don't have to actually be going to the conference in order to vote or comment. The keynote that I'm proposing is How Dead Malls Can Live Again. I'm really proud of this proposal. It would be an amazing presentation, and uh, I really hope we can make it happen. I thank you very much in advance. Hey, if you like today's show, you can subscribe to Where We Buy on your iPhone podcast app, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. On the web, we're at wherewebuy.show. Our theme music this week is dedicated to superfan Eddie Gonzalez, who loves the song Run in the Night by the Good Lords under Creative Commons license. Thank you.